Okay. Hi, uh, welcome to our talk. Uh, my name is Mike. I lead uh, core and data engineering at Opendoor, and this is Min, and he's a software engineer on our data infrastructure team. And today we're going to be telling you about how we used a Amazon EMR to build a Spark ecosystem at Opendoor. So our agenda is we'll briefly cover a little bit what, what Opendoor is, uh, a history of how we do data processing at Opendoor from a small startup to what it is today. Uh, then we'll describe our EMR ecosystem at Opendoor, and we'll talk about results and future works. Uh, in addition, uh, we'll be hosting a Q&A after, and so if you have any questions, uh, please use the mic uh, there so that the questions can be recorded. So first, uh, what is Opendoor? Opendoor, the mission of Opendoor is to empower everyone with the freedom to move. Uh, the way we do that is we make it very easy for you to buy and sell homes. How does Opendoor work? The first thing that happens when somebody enters their address into the website is we'll make an all-cash offer within 24 hours. Then we will conduct a thorough home assessment. We will make repairs and minor renovations uh, to put the home up to market standards. And then we'll list uh, the home uh, on the market uh, for you to, to, to tour daily. Um, some stats about our company are that we are buying and selling nearly 3,500 homes every month. Uh, we have over 55,000 customers serviced to date, and uh, we're in currently in 20 cities, uh, 21 cities across the United States, and we have $5 billion in GMV and 150% year-over-year growth. And if you have any uh, additional questions, uh, feel free to ask me after the talk. So we'll talk a little bit about data processing uh, at Opendoor. Uh, and so why, why do we actually use uh, data processing? We use it for algorithmic pricing. In order to actually be able to buy and sell homes, we need to know what the price is. Uh, we need to look at real estate data quality, uh, how many bedrooms, bathrooms, square foot it has. Uh, we also have a lot of market analytics, trends, uh, as well as with our company and uh, uh, how to build analytics around this and more. So at a high level, uh, our, our uh, data processing system ingests MLS data, which is, uh, stands for Multiple Listing Service, uh, which is the real estate data set, tax data, third-party data sources, and internal data sets. Uh, and we feed them into our data processing engine, and it outcomes algorithmic pricing, recommendations, analytics, as well as consumer data. Uh, and we also serve this data using RDS, Snowflake, and uh, BigQuery. And today, we'll be talking about our data processing engine. Some of the challenges that we face with our data processing engine are that we need fast feedback loops for our data science use cases. We have many data scientists that are working on giving our customers the best and most accurate price uh, to buy and sell homes for, and we need to be able to iterate on these algorithms very quickly. In addition, uh, data quality is a very difficult process uh, for real estate uh, when we're modeling real world things. For example, in this example, a house might, one source might say the house has 1,024 square foot, uh, the tax assessor may say it has 1,200, and which one do we actually pick as our final number, and that may change over time. In addition, uh, real estate kind of has uh, complex data structures, for example, neighbors, uh, neighbors that go in and out of relevancy uh, for a particular subject, and uh, these require frequent batch recomputation as well. So now we'll go through a little bit about how uh, Opendoor has evolved its data processing uh, system as a, from a 10-person startup all the way to kind of a 200-person engineering org that it is today. Uh, we'll go through our initial stack of Python and Postgres to Dask on Kubernetes, to Spark on Kubernetes, and ultimately onto Spark on EMR. So first, starting off with uh, Python and Postgres. Uh, the pros of this system are that it's very simple for data scientists. It's, uh, Python's very easy to learn. It's very good performance on small data sets. 
Uh, you have a rich uh, access to powerful libraries such as pandas, numpy, and other, other uh, libraries here. And operationally, it's very simple for us to set up. However, the cons that we ran into here are experimentation and versioning is very difficult. We wanted to experiment with different pricing models. It was very difficult to have uh, do uh, comparisons here. In addition, as we mentioned, we had to do a lot of batch processing. And with Postgres, it's very difficult for us to do so uh, uh, batch process and recompute entire tables. Another kind of operational concern is that frequently what we would do is we would both process and serve data out of our database. And uh, operationally, this was very difficult to keep uh, separate. Then we moved on to a parallel processing framework called Dask. And uh, for those that you don't know, uh, Dask is a fully native uh, Python parallel, parallel processing framework written in Python. Um, and it uh, runs actually with uh, very uh, uh, highly concurrent and distributed uh, workloads. Uh, the, some of the pros here are that it has a relatively lower learning curve for data scientists. Uh, basic parallelization task was actually very easy with a framework called Daskbag. Um, and operationally, it was pretty straightforward to set up on Kubernetes. However, some of the cons were uh, some of the higher level abstractions, such as the data frame uh, that we'll be talking about a little bit, uh, was very difficult to debug as uh, it's based off the pandas memory model. And we frequently ran into out of memory issues and it was really difficult to know what was going on. And uh, as a result, basic shuffles were not always robust. Uh, we would actually have out of memory failures or task failures and we wouldn't really know why. Um, and in addition, uh, Dask is a fairly early uh, community, and uh, there's limited guidance on how we should be hosting, as well as how we should do multi-tenancy and, and everything else. And so naturally, we move toward uh, Spark. And so uh, Spark is, uh, for a little bit of context, an open source distributed uh, general purpose cluster computing framework. Uh, it's very popular for ETL, processing frameworks, uh, and uh, analytics and machine learning workloads, as well as batch and interactive uh, SQL queries. Uh, however, at the time, uh, we were already on Kubernetes, and uh, we did not actually, Kubernetes at the time did not actually natively support Spark, and so we had to actually be a little bit creative in our Spark setup. So this is kind of a high, very high-level overview. We'll be going into a little bit of this detail uh, in future slides, but uh, this was the way we set up Spark on Kubernetes, uh, where basically the entry points are our Airflow, which is a task management system, uh, and Jupyter Hub. Uh, for data science usage, and uh, what we would do is uh, we would actually just spin up each of the Spark components as Docker components, or Docker containers. And so as you can see in this diagram, uh, for each of our Airflow tasks, we would actually spin up an independent Spark cluster uh, with uh, one Spark driver with a Docker image, and the workers would also have Docker images, and we would actually uh, manually specify for every job how many workers you need, how, many, uh, how much memory you need, and how much CPU you need. And so some of the pros and, uh, pros and cons here, the pros is that it was actually very easy to version PySpark code because uh, we were using Docker uh, and everything was kind of bundled into Kubernetes. And so we could actually have uh, different, different uh, jobs use different clusters or different dependencies. Uh, and uh, it was much more performant and robust than some of our other uh, uh, options. Some of the cons, however, were uh, there was no dynamic resource allocation, which is something we'll be going into next. And so as a result, uh, we had a lot of wasted resources, as well as we had to manually configure resources for every job. And this became very tedious. And as we grew as an organization, uh, led to uh, a lot of increase in cost. Um, in addition, uh, we also had to basically manually configure a lot of parameters for Spark, such as their self-service, uh, as well as a lot of other complex uh, parameters that we didn't really need to, uh, didn't want to actually deal with. So finding a managed Spark service. Uh, what, we wanted to, what we wanted to find in our next uh, Spark service was performance. How do we make our jobs faster? 
uh, cost, how do we make our jobs more efficient, and usability, how do we actually uh, proliferate the usage of Spark across the company. And so here we did a benchmarking uh, uh, exercise with a few options. We had our own Spark on Kubernetes uh, uh, deployment. Uh, we also tested out Databricks, and we tested out Amazon EMR. And so from a performance standpoint, uh, our own, uh, because we didn't have dynamic uh, resource allocation, uh, our own setup was, was much less performant than both Databricks and EMR, and we found uh, EMR and Databricks to be fairly comparable in terms of performance. Uh, from a cost perspective, again, uh, our setup was, was not the most cost effective. Uh, Databricks had a lot of more advanced features, but as a result, costed a lot more for us. And EMR, uh, since we were already on the EMR ecosystem, uh, AWS ecosystem, the cost was actually quite good for EMR. And from a usability perspective, we actually found Databricks to have a lot of uh, really neat uh, usability tools, uh, but they were not really for our use cases. Um, and so we ultimately ended up choosing Amazon EMR to go with. And so now I'll hand it over to Min to talk about exactly how we actually set up our EMR cluster at Opendoor. Cool. Uh, thanks, Mike. Um, so far, we've introduced what Opendoor does and how our data processing, data processing system has evolved from Postgres to Spark and end up choosing EMR for our Spark infrastructure. Now we want to deep dive on how we design, implement it, and monitor EMR at Opendoor. So here's our agenda today. Um, we want to explain our thought process over this project by showing our questions that we've encountered on the way and how we've resolved these. We group these questions into three different categories, architecture, infrastructure, and monitoring. And first, we want to start off with how we design the EMR architecture at Opendoor. Uh, before jumping into technical details here, I just want to uh, ask a quick question to the audience. How many folks have uh, used uh, Spark or worked on Spark before? Oh, wow. OK, cool. I'm going to anyway go over this slide. I'm going to briefly touch on what is Spark cluster, how you submit a MapReduce job, and what's actually happening inside the cluster. So let's say you wrote a MapReduce code. How would you submit that? You would need to first place those codes into where the client program exists. When you hit Submit command, it'll the Spark client program will submit your code, MapReduce code, to Spark driver program of masternode of a Spark cluster. Now your Spark driver program will review your MapReduce code and decide what to do at what step. And it'll partition the initial data and send each piece to the worker node, or essentially the executor of the worker node, which actually processes your data by following the instructions given by driver program. And it sends the results back to driver, which aggregates the job and finish the job. So now the cluster here, the cluster with master node, worker nodes, along with Spark client program and driver program is what EMR provides to you. It's up to you how to configure and how to use this to run your MapReduce jobs. So keeping that in mind, our first question is, how should we set up our cluster? Or more specifically, should we have one cluster for every job or have one large cluster to run multiple jobs? And I'll say this design question is really important. That's because we have a lot of MapReduce jobs to run, about 50 to 60 per day, which means the design decision from this question will directly determine the resource efficiency of our Spark infra, also known as cost. So let's look into the first scenario, one job per cluster. 
Let's say you schedule your MapReduce job to be run every week on Airflow, which is the most popular workflow scheduling tool. And what will Airflow do to run the job? It'll first spin up a cluster, submit a job, wait for finishing. After it finishes job, it's gonna terminate the cluster. So now let's look, at, look into the pros and cons of this design. So pros. I would say this is pretty simple as you just um, launch and destroy cluster for every job, which means jobs are independent because they're running on a separate clusters. There's no chance that a job can interrupt other running jobs. Also a third, easier versioning of cluster code. Let's say Amazon EMR has released a newer version of EMR and you want to use that on your cluster. You can simply just check in the change in the code base where you maintain the EMR cluster resource and Airflow will just pick that update and launch a cluster with a newer version in the next run. But the cons, I would say inefficient and more costly usage of resources. So why is that? To efficiently use resources of a cluster, you would need to launch a cluster with the specific resources that your job would need. And that would be really hard to calculate. So you would think of most likely launch a default size cluster such as small, medium, large clusters and just submit all the jobs there, which is not you're gonna uh, waste the uh, memories or CPUs there. But let's say you figured out how to actually calculate the resources. That means you need to manually configure all these resources for every job. Third, duplicate master nodes because you have a lot of clusters to run a lot of jobs. And lastly, overhead of launching and terminating cluster per job. So EMR is currently working on minimizing this overhead, but still you would have to spend every three to five minutes for every job. Now let's look into the second scenario, one large cluster. Same situation, but now we have one large standby cluster which uh, will receive all these multiple jobs. Let's jump into the pros and cons. The first up, efficient usage of resources. And we're gonna go over this in the subsequent slides, but it's mainly because of the EMR automatic scaling feature. If you can dynamically change the resources of a cluster according to the need from the multiple jobs, you'll be able to save resources. Second, single reliable master instance, because you have only one cluster, that means you only have one master node. Third, one place to monitor job health and resource usage, and lastly, no overhead of launching and terminating because you have a cluster running standby. But obviously, complex architecture and job scheduling. So now you're in the situation of where a job can actually interrupt the other jobs because they are running on the same cluster. You will need to figure out how to allocate the cluster resources to each job and also schedule these jobs to run at the time when they were submitted. We're gonna go over this. The other two cons, single point of failure and harder to version cluster code. So if the cluster goes down for some reason or uh, you want to apply this newer EMR version, so need, you need to relaunch a cluster. In these cases, you would be killing these running jobs at the moment. But how do we go around? If we have robust um, and alerting system along with the elaborate uh, architecture design, and I would say efficiency gains from having one large cluster to run multiple jobs should outweigh the overall system complexity. So our next question, how do we schedule multiple jobs effectively? We now chose a one large cluster design. So 
if we restate our goal here, we want our cluster to effectively run multiple jobs in parallel at the time when they are submitted. So this is a cluster view that we're going to iterate on over this presentation. We can see the cluster, and driver programs should figure out how to allocate different resources for different jobs and how to schedule these. How would, you, how would it do? It's going to talk to this component called Yarn Resource Manager. Let's go into details of this. So if you've worked on Spark before, you might have heard of these uh, different resource managers of a cluster, such as Standalone, Yarn, and Mesos. Yarn is most popular for uh, running multiple jobs on the same cluster. It's responsible for allocating cluster resources to different jobs and scheduling tasks to be executed on different worker nodes. And also is used by EMR by default to centrally manage cluster resources. Let's actually focus on allocating cluster resources to different jobs part. How would it actually do? It's going to use this abstract called container, yarn container. Yarn container represents a unit of resource allocation, has an executor inside, which actually executes a single entity of job, like map or reduce. Let's go back to the, the cluster view here. So in simple terms, Yarn can slice the worker nodes into different containers so that it can allocate different containers to different jobs. So you can see the two different colors of the containers here inside the cluster. You can see job one is running on five containers with the red color, and job two is running on the purple colors. So there are currently two jobs running at the same time in the same cluster. So now we learned how to allocate cluster resources to different jobs. How do we actually schedule different jobs so that they can run in parallel at the time they were they were submitted? It's through the scheduling policy inside the Yarn component. You need to figure out uh, which scheduling policy would best fit to your use case. There are currently three scheduling policies, capacity, FIFO, and FAIR. We're going to go over this one by one. So first up, capacity scheduler. It's Yarn's default. It allocates available resources of cluster to running jobs based on individual needs, but in FIFO manner for the jobs submitted in the same queue. So what is queue here? So with Yarn, you can create different queues on a cluster and assign different jobs to different uh, queues. Uh, I can give you an example. Like Let's say uh, you create two queues. Uh, first queue is for SLA-sensitive jobs and the other for regular non-sensitive jobs. And you can allocate more resources to the first job so to make sure you run SLA-sensitive jobs first. But I would say we don't have the job prioritization logic yet. We just want to run all the jobs at the time when they're submitted. So I would say this is not our use case yet. Next up, FIFO scheduler. First in, first out. Job runs in the order of submission. Jobs that get scheduled first can starve other jobs. Obviously, this would prevent multiple jobs from running, so this is not our use case. The last one, fair scheduler. It's the most popular for a large cluster for memory-intensive jobs. It enables, the job, it enables the allocation of resources to jobs in a way that all jobs get share of cluster resources. 
So now we're in the situation where not the queues, but the jobs are actually fighting for resources in the same cluster. So that's what we need. So our conclusion is with the large scheduler, uh, with the large cluster, fair scheduler is likely the one that will suit our needs. Now it introduces to the next question. So now we've chosen a one large cluster with yarn to allocate cluster resources and schedule jobs with the fair scheduling policy. Our next question is how will we scale out and scale in the physical worker nodes of a cluster? Back into our cluster view, let's say there are currently two jobs running in a cluster, and let's say they are fully occupying the cluster resources, and driver receives another job to run, but apparently it doesn't have any resources to run. We need to somehow talk to EC2 and attach another worker node. How would it actually do? We can do this through EMR's automatic scaling policy. It's, here's a definition. Programmatically scale out and scale in worker nodes based on a CloudWatch metric and other parameters that you specify in a scaling policy. So two terms that we need to focus here, CloudWatch metric and scaling policy. In short terms, EMR will monitor the specific metrics that's coming out of from Spark cluster, and if certain events gets triggered, it'll either attach more worker nodes or terminate worker nodes based on your configured scaling policy. But what metrics, what kinds of metrics do we need to look at? There's like an exhaustive list of metrics, but friendly, we wanna show four common metrics that people usually look at. So number of apps running, obviously, number of jobs running in a cluster, person, yarn, memory available, this is saying available memory on the whole cluster. And number of apps pending, pending, of, uh, pending jobs in a cluster. And also lastly, container pending ratio. We're gonna focus on that in the next slide. So after a thorough investigation and research, we've chosen container pending ratio for our scaling out policy. So what is that? It's a ratio of number of containers pending over number of containers allocated. Let's look into why. So if we have so many containers are pending, that means workload is high on cluster, so we want to actually attach the worker nodes. But why do we look at containers allocated, also known as number of running containers? If there are so many running containers in a cluster, there's, also, there's actually a greater chance that they will be released as soon as they are finished so that they will, be, uh, they will be available for other scheduled jobs. So in this way, we can actually prevent oversubscribing worker nodes when fast jobs finish by finding a right balance between these two different container numbers. For scaling and policy, we just want to see the less activity on the cluster, and we would chose, choose uh, two different metrics, percent yarn memory available and apps running. And here's an example uh, of scaling policy of our cluster. So you can see, you can punch in specific numbers uh, for minimum and maximum worker instance group, and you can also specify the interval, the event that you wanna trigger. Let's look at one by one. For scaling out, at one instance, if container pending ratio is greater than 0.75 for one five minute period, 
It's saying, if container pending ratio is greater than 0.75, we want to add one worker node over a certain period of time. Scaling in, terminate three instances if apps running is less than or equal to zero. Obviously, if nothing's running on a cluster, we want to aggressively kill the worker nodes to save cost. Second, terminate two instances if there's not much available, person, available memory on a cluster, we just want to kill two instances. Cool, so now our cluster view would now look like this. And you would wonder, why do we have three sets of worker nodes here? That's because we're mixing in different instance types. Here's a side note. Spot instances, uh, we're now actually launching and destroying physical worker machines, which are, we're actually paying for. How do we even reduce costs? We can actually use spot instances instead of on-demand. But the caveat is they can be reclaimed by AWS at any time, and that's quite bad for your Spark job. Why would that be? If you lose your work currently running worker node, that means your Spark job, your MapReduce job will retry, and your, the resources that you spent on the retry will be wasted. You already paid that. To uh, address that, we are actually mixing in different instance types by using task instance group. I'm like sort of mixing the worker and task terms in between. They're basically the same thing. So you can see in this uh, screenshot, we're using six different task instance groups, and they're on the different instance types. You can actually search the least vulnerable uh, spot terminations of the spot instance types on AWS uh, link. So our conclusion is configuring proper automatic scaling policies is key to having a cost-effective Spark cluster. Container pending ratio and person yarn memory available metrics are good places to start, and actually these are most popular ones. To even reduce cost, you can spot, use spot instances rather than on-demand for worker nodes and use instance groups to mix in different instance types to get you away from the spot terminations frequency. So now we know how to, sum, now we know how to spin up a cluster, and we want to know how to submit a job to a Spark cluster. And let's look into the infrastructure of this. And our first question is PySpark dependencies. Why are we suddenly looking into PySpark? That's because Opendoor is a Python shop. We've much focused on uh, Python machine learning libraries to auto-evaluate the home prices. So that's why all of our, most of our MapReduce jobs are written in PySpark. And that comes as a caveat to our EMR architecture. It's because if you look into the single worker node, it's a zoomed-in view of a cluster. And if you look into the executor, you can see the two different runtimes. So when, actually, when executor receives a partition of the data, it first stores into the JVM runtime. Then if we, if it tries to actually process the data, it needs to serialize those and send them to Python runtime to actually apply your Python functions. So what's the challenge of that? Let's uh, pinpoint on the two facts for now. Any Spark process that would ever work on any machine is a JVM process, and JARFAR can contain not only the application's package, but also all of its dependencies. 
but wheel file cannot. So what are jar and wheel here? So if you wrote your map users uh, code, you need to package them and then place into where the client program exists. When you're packaging them, you can also package the dependencies, the libraries that you're using along with. If you wrote your Spark code, Java code, uh, sorry, Spark code in Java, if you package, it'll become as a jar, but if you wrote it in PySpark, it'll be wheel. But there's a disadvantage of using wheel. A Python wheel built on a client machine will be specific to the client CPU architecture because of the required C compilation. So if you're using any C compiled Python library such as NumPy, Pandas, SciPy, it would likely be failing on your cluster when it's running because the environment that you packaged up your application code is different to what uh, the cluster's CPU architecture is. So this is why you need to actually separately install, pre-install these NumPy, SciPy's inside the cluster. So that's why we have actually multiple clusters to run multiple jobs. If you have two different PySpark codes that uses different NumPy versions, you would actually need to have different clusters. And we're making advantage of the AMI, which actually has those NumPy's so that you can launch different clusters with the pre-built AMI's. So our conclusion goes again, PySpark has more complex dependency issues than Java, Scala, Spark. We handle this by utilizing multiple clusters per repo per different requirements combination using AMI. So now we know how to submit a PySpark job to one large cluster, but how do we actually version control these application codes? As I mentioned, when you're running a MapReduce job, you need to first place those codes into where client program exists. And then you need to run the spark submit command. Uh, you can specify the location of your wheel as a parameter. And our goal is how to actually version those wheel files. So let's say you have a PR which changes your uh, PySpark code and you merge it to master. It'll kick off the, uh, the CI-CD pipeline. It'll first test things, obviously, and then it'll package up your code into wheel and put into a Docker image, and we're gonna push that image to the Docker hub. So this specific Docker image will have your own version of PySpark code. Now, you scheduled your job on Airflow. Airflow will first spin up a Kubernetes pod before uh, dealing with anything with the EMR. It'll first spin up a pod with the Docker image that uh, CI-CD pipeline just built. It'll download that, and then it'll make a connection to EMR cluster, download that wheel file into cluster, and run that Spark submit command. So this is how we handle the versioning. So our conclusion here, utilize Docker to encapsulate code and Python dependencies, and also version code gets submitted to the cluster using CI-CD pipeline. Now, last but not least, monitoring. So first up is a ganglia. It's a tool provided by EMR. It can uh, visualize the cluster resource usage. So you see the red lines here, and uh, left uh, bar, Y bar shows the, the memory, the whole cluster memory. 
red is what actually the cluster has, and blue and green are actually what we are using. So by looking at this, we can tweak automatic scaling policy to minimize those space between red line and the green. Obviously, next one, Datadog. You can integrate Datadog with EMR cluster to receive a bunch of metrics about the cluster. You can also integrate with PagerDuty to, for example, alert on so many spot terminations that you can be indicated when uh, Spark's going to retry a lot. So we know how to visual, uh, we know how to monitor the cluster health now, but how do we actually quantify the job level performance? How do you actually know which job is most consuming in the cluster? Candidates are memory usage of a job, CPU usage, or duration. I would say we can uh, simply rule out the CPU usage for now because most of the MapReduce codes, MapReduce jobs are memory intensive. So we need to somehow mix in memory and duration. We need to know somehow total memory usage of a total job duration. And luckily, Yarn component of an EMR cluster simply gives you easily. It's called aggregate resource allocation. The definition is total resource usage of a job over its runtime. You can see that on the screenshot here, uh, second to the last, and it's showing all the resources that is used for that specific job. So we set up our own pipeline to ingest these um, and batch and store them in the data warehouse to see how much we're using for uh, what jobs. So at the end, one large shared standby cluster is an efficient design choice after our investigation. And first and foremost, that's because dynamic resource allocation of YARN and EMR's automatic scaling has improved efficiency and reduced cost. Shared cluster removes overhead of launching and destroying time. And there's also no need to specify resources per job. Future works. So we can still optimize the cluster by tweaking the yarn container. Now it's a basic unit to scale out and scale in within the worker nodes. If we can tweak somehow, we can more accurately allocate the resources to each job prioritization queues. If we can divide out the jobs into SLA sensitive, not as SLA sensitive, then we can use capacity scheduler to, to let queues to fight for resources. And the last one here is improved handling of spot instance terminations. And the answer would be automatic scaling spot instance fleets. So we're currently mixing in different uh, spot instance types uh, manually, but EMR is, uh, is going to soon launch a feature called automatic scaling spot instance fleet. What that means is if you just give a set of different instance types, EMR will just choose the least vulnerable on spot termination, least vulnerable spot instance type for you. And at the end, we're going to say EMR has been a solid managed service for Spark, especially for existing AWS users. Thank you.